0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CMB Preferred.
1: BFM eighty nine point nine seven oh six Friday the 13. Uh, you're, of course, listening to The Morning Run with Chong Jensen, Philip C, and I'm Wong shao Now, in about 30 minutes, we'll be speaking to Anushka Winjisahar of the Sri Lanka Think Tank, the Centre for a Smart Future, for an update on his country. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. U.S. markets. They ended up as the CPI print was in line with expectations.
2: The Dow and the Nasdaq were both up by 0.6%. S&P 500 was up by 0.3%. In Asian markets, the Nikkei was up marginally by 0.01%. The Hang Seng was up by 0.4%. The Shanghai Composite was up by 0.1%. The Straits Times Index it was down by 0.1%, and the FBM KLCI it was up by 0.1%. Mm, finally,
0: Singapore's. Contrarian,
1: <laughs> just one day, one day doesn't make it a trend, Philip. Uh, but for more on where international markets are heading, we have on the line with us Tim Mahalan, president of TJM Limited, out of Chicago. Good morning, Tim. Always good to speak to you. So, what's your analysis of the CPI number that came out? Do you feel that the Fed recent hikes have been able to make a dent on inflationary pressure, and what does this mean for future rate hikes? Also.
3: Yeah, you know, I think in the inflation sensitive sectors, they certainly did have uh, some impact. But, you know, by and large, the, I, I think the Fed is still, uh, you know, financial conditions are still very easy. And, um, you know, I think the Fed will be reiterating that, at least I think Powell will. Uh, You know, their, their basic rates are still below the nominal GDP rate. You know, so in that sense, I I think, you know, they're certainly going to rise and stay longer. But the market seems to be jumping to a conclusion that I think is inconsistent with the Fed. And that conclusion the market's jumping to is that not only they're going to stop and pause, but then they're going to turn around and ease. And that to me uh, seems like could be the you know the this misconception in the market or perception in the market. And I also think this is going to be a big earnings uh, issue anyway. Uh, that's where the rubber hits the road. And if we get a decline in earnings greater than the market expects, which I think there's a likelihood we will, then you know I think that's going to be the most important thing coming up. Uh, in the next, uh, especially with earnings starting tomorrow.
1: Okay, so Tim, just to clarify, what are your expectations in terms of the next round of Fed hikes? Is it going to be 25 bips, 50 bips? Because I think 75, very unlikely at this rate?
3: You know, I think uh, I probably might lean towards, I mean, it might maybe lean towards 25, but I don't think 50 is really out of the question either, Mm. because I really think they need to get to that 5%. Uh, you know, five, five and a quarter percent, and then they can sit tight. So, you know, maybe it's a quarter. I might lean that way just from because I get persuaded, you know, from the <laughs> from the market. But uh, you know, I, I, you know, again, fifty basis certainly not seventy five, and they're certainly getting close to what they think is a terminal rate.
2: And Tim, U.S. banks are said to have set aside funds in recent quarters to cover potential losses on their loans if the economy weakens in 2023. How do you see that weighing on the fourth quarter results and the, the results for this year as well?
3: Well, I think that's a good question, and you know the savings rate, by the way, is 2.4 percent, which I was somewhat surprised. And you know the at the I believe end of the last decade, you know it was a seven and a half percent is what it averaged. So you have that coming with, uh, you know, I think reduced fiscal, you know, stimulus or transfer payments, and you know you have a consumer that looks like they could they're leveraging up more with credit. So I think you're going to see some if the economy should weaken, which maybe it comes later. But yes, you'll see some uh, allowances for uh, credit for sure. And I think the consumer is not going to be someone where I think the the, uh, uh, vulnerability, at least for the uh, spending, is really, I think, something to pay attention to. Which is very interesting
0: because according to the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, mortgage applications rose 1.2%, right, to kick off 2023. So are these rumors of a wholesale downturn in the property market too pessimistic then?
3: Well, I think if long term rates, when you look at, uh, you know, 10 year notes seem to have stabilized, I think there was, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of adjustable rates here in the in the mortgage market. I think most people are fixed, uh, you know, so I think that's that's, um, uh, you know, one of the and people are also paying cash a lot. But no. nonetheless, for certain, it's hurting the marginal buyer, but also the prices themselves with rates on a valuation basis. But right now, 10 years at 3 3.5%, I'd have to say that uh, they are too pessimistic.
1: Okay, Tim, I want to talk about oil, the black gold. Uh, on a year-to-date basis, WTI down close to, what, 3%. I th- I suspect some of this has got to do with the slightly warmer winter than expected. But what's your outlook for oil? Um, Oil for 2023,
3: though. Yeah, I still think that uh, oil, you know, the warmer weather for sure, for sure has some impact. But I, I think that uh, uh, prices will be probably in a range maybe up to $80, $90 or something like that. But I think that the, we're closer to the low in, the, in oil. You know, unless we're going to get an all-out, uh, you know, major recession, which I, at least I, I don't think that's going to happen. And China also, incidentally, uh, may not give the boost, though, that we expect from their reopening. So you know, I I like oil. I still like the sector a lot mm-hmm. uh, as far as the prices go. I think you're closer to a, a low, at least intermediate low, than you are uh, a top. So I, I still like it.
1: Okay. So so despite the fact that demand from China may not be as robust as expected, what's your view then on let's say fracking and shale oil companies? So let's get a bit more specific here.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, they've had a tough go of it here because they're you know not getting a lot of love. Um, and, you know, which I, I think is a little disappointing, but I believe their break even is somewhere and I, I'm not 100 percent sure on this, but I think it's somewhere uh, fifty dollars or so. Um, so I think they've got some margins and I still think there's still a very constant demand and the supply demand situation, I think, still is in the favor their favor. So uh, I think they should be they should be fine. I'm kind of more I like the pipeline type and I like the refiners uh, much more.
2: And Tim, I'd like to get some of your views on the U.S.-China regulations. After a Mexican standoff, regulators said they've gained access to the accounts of 200 Chinese-listed companies on U.S. exchanges. Has the prospects of these stocks, delisting from American bosses, disappeared completely?
3: Well, I don't think it disappeared completely. I think that would be very premature to say. And, uh, you know, again, China... You know, actually been pretty hot here in this on the reopening story. And, you know, this is certainly a positive for it. But, you know, I I think that uh, even the specter of the that possibility, I think, is kind of done lasting. Uh, I think the way people look at it is going to be lasting.
0: So, Tim, I guess, to what extent are you a China bull?
3: You know, I, I think China was, I think I've like a broken record for a few years, too, when it wasn't so good. But, you know, I I, I like China. I think it's still uh, OK and uh, you know i think they got some room to run you know they beat it up so badly here and i think as long as uh, you know for right now i think they're they're going to be uh, in a decent position but i don't think their uh, reopening is going to be uh, as robust as maybe some expect so i'd be a little guarded on that but i, I overall i still like it and in the you know in the em um, allocation i mean you can't do without china so mm-hmm. i do like it I'm I'm not I'm you know cautiously optimistic.
0: So you don't think the Chinese consumer will save the world from a global recession?
3: No, um I don't. I think that the Chinese consumers haven't been fed transfer payments the way uh we have in especially in the US. So I don't think the consumers are in that position that you know the counterparts in the world were when that reopened. And I think that's something to consider. But you know, again, I think there's a lot you know, China and especially like, you know, um companies like Yum uh, I mean, how can you not like them? <laughs> no. true. I Everybody love the likes
1: chicken. KFC and Pizza Hut. But Tim, yeah. what's the best exposure if you want uh, China in your portfolio?
3: You know, it's because I do that, and again, I I think when you really want, if you really want to get it, there's a lot of good managers out there. You know, and um, but I do the ETF with it. You know, and I like the ASHR, which mm-hmm. is A share which is a harvest fund management company in in China, who I know. Actually, in Deutsche Bank, they have uh, – it's A-share, A-share and yuan-based – exposure to it. I like that. And I think you has got your FXI and your typicals, but I'd like the ETFs.
1: Okay, thank you very much. That was Tim Mulholland, president of TJM Limited Chicago, ending the conversation on how you should get your exposure if you really believe that China is a market that cannot be ignored in 2023. And yeah, ETF, because it's... Yeah. You don't have to really manage it, right? Somebody else is doing it So it's a form of a passive fund and so you get automatic exposure usually to an index.
2: Yeah, I liked what he said about the banks and while they're due to report this week and they're beneficiary of high interest rates but the consumer savings rates have declined to 2.4%. It was 7.5% at the end of the last decade. So consumers have been leveraging up uh, of late. So I think what to watch out for when banks report will probably be some provisions and some allowances uh, which may hit their books as well. Thank <laughs>
1: you. Uh, but one company that did report last night in America was, of course, American Airlines. Now, they actually hiked its revenue and they also hiked their profit estimates for the fourth quarter thanks to strong demand and higher fares. So, in the filing they said estimates revenues rose as much as 17% over the same period in 2019.
0: I think they're one of the key beneficiaries of that blowout taking place in Southwest because Southwest hubs are actually pretty close to American Airlines and as you know, uh, throughout the Christmas holidays, there was really a meltdown down in the Southwest systems going forward. So American Airlines seems to play a beneficiary from that. You've also seen them also take a lot of improvements in their operational performance, which is what, you know, they're not really good or renowned for in terms of their on time performance and they've taken a lot of effort to do that. So I think that's that strategic benefit that they're getting as well from this blowout from Southwest.
1: But what's unusual is the street doesn't really like it, so I don't know whether post this set of results that we'll see upgrades because currently there's only three buys. Fourteen holes, three sells. Consensus target price for this stock is sixteen US dollars and thirty-one cents. And we know that after market hours, the stock did bounce very close already to the twelve month consensus target price. So I wonder whether the street will think, hey, this company has the potential to do much, much better. Let's upgrade our numbers.
0: Let's see, right? Uh, Revenge travel was a theme in 2022. Does that theme continue on in 2023? Are we going to see resilience in passenger travel globally?
1: Yeah, because fares have gone up significantly and Mm. if we expect a global recession, are people going to say, okay, I'm going to stop all my discretionary travel. I'm not going to pay. I'm not going to be able to afford the high fares. And at the same time, I understand airlines haven't been able to increase their capacity. There's plane shortages uh, and it's just an issue even when it comes to spare parts. That's
0: true. I think one of the biggest concerns is that there isn't enough aircraft being reactivated back into the fleet. So there's an issue of supply, right, to meet the demand. So perhaps we find that inflection point in 2023 where supply gets reactivated and demand also starts softening a bit. And that's where you can see perhaps airfares slowly reduce.
1: We certainly hope so. Up next, we'll cover the top stories in newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that BFM
0: 89.9. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CMB Preferred. Moving forward with you, visit cimbpreferred.com.my for their preferential services beyond banking. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.